Well, hello and welcome to the Plain Accounts podcast. Every week we get together and discuss the upcoming gospel election in this very unique time that we find ourselves. Um, we are uh, looking at what it means to travel through the wilderness um, and chaos of of the wilderness together as a community this season of Lent. This is the fourth Sunday of Lent, and I I uh, I saw a tweet the other day that kind of encapsulates how I'm feeling. Uh, Alicia, I wasn't planning on giving up this much for Lent. Were you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, I mean, there wasn't really a class in seminary titled How to Pastor Through a Pandemic. So right. this, is, this is pretty new for us, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, just, I guess I... Definitely not in like the preparation that we planned mm -hmm. for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess I just want to start off the whole episode by encouraging our listeners that, you know, God has called you um, and want to affirm your call. If you're not hearing that, uh, if you get criticism for the choices that you make, no one knows your context um, better than, than you listen to the health officials and, you know, take the wisdom that you have um, and also walk faithfully with those who uh, only only you know the discipleship relationship that you're in with them. Uh, so do your best to make wise decisions, but also know that you're not alone and you're seen in your pastoral community. Because we pastor such unique situations um, and m some more unique than others. So I just want to encourage you and, and know that you're not journeying alone through this uh, chaotic time. Any, any words yeah. from, from you? Pastor. Thanks so much for saying that, Ben. I guess I would also just, man, who am I to say anything about this? What, like, what do yeah. we know? Yeah. Um, but I'll just affirm for, for all of you listening and especially all of you pastors out there, you are called, you're faithful. Um, remember that God has been at work in your community long before you were there. Mm -hmm. Um, and God will continue to be at work in our communities long after we're gone. Um, that the church exists because God has called us mm -hmm. together um, and God is continuing to draw us together even when we can't meet in our regular Sunday spaces. Yeah. Um, I would remind us that we are a people gathered around the word. So share scripture, um, mm -hmm. speak the truth, proclaim the gospel in whatever ways and manners that you can in this new landscape, in this new time. We are a people that commune with God. So encourage prayer, encourage um, reflection on what God is up to, pay attention to how God is moving in our hearts, among our people, in our neighborhoods, in our worlds. Um, we are people shaped by word and sacrament. And so we might not be able to share um, or administer the sacrament of communion in the ways that we normally would. Um, but what are some of the other ways we can remind people who we are and who we belong to? And mm -hmm. um, those are some of the things that I've been thinking and praying about as we think, what does it mean to be the gathered community of God in this era of social distancing or, um, here in the Bay Area, we're on shelter-in-place orders, which is basically just shy of lockdown. It's pretty intense. Um, so what does it mean to care for our neighbors, um, to, to love each other well, um, to stay connected, to remind each other um, about who God is and who we are as God's people? Mm -hmm. these, are, these are all deeply pastoral uh, calls. 
Um, yeah. And so we trust all, all y'all pastors to be doing that work and to be doing it faithfully. You're, you're doing the best that you can with what you have and God is faithful. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much uh, for that. And, and I just want to encourage you to, um, if, if a plain account can be uh, more of a help to you in your particular context, please reach out. We're really trying to be um, as helpful, not just with commentary and um, looking at the, the lectionary resources and liturgy, but we also want to be uh, primarily a source of discipleship as well. So if a plain account can serve in a different way that maybe we haven't thought of, please reach out and, and let us know that for your particular context. Um, and feel free to share and, and report um, how a plain account has uh, helped you in those uh, on iTunes and some other places that really does help us to um, stay, stay visible in the, in the eyes of those who may benefit from, uh, from our community together online. This is, can be a time of darkness where we're not really able to see what's ahead of us. So this passage is really timely. In John chapter 9, we're actually going to read the entire passage today for our gospel lection. And it's uh, John really deals with this dynamic of uh, blindness and sight, light and darkness. Um, we've seen that from uh, Nicodemus with a woman at the well, and now with this healing of a man born blind. Um, so we're going to talk about some of those significant um, points as we, as we reflect on this passage today. I'm going to read the text from uh, the Common English Bible, um, John chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent, so that the man went away and washed. When he returned, he could see. The man's neighbors and those who used to see him when he was a beggar said, Isn't this the man who, was, who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. And others said, No, it's someone who just looks like him. But the man said, Yes, it's me. So they asked him, How are you now able to see? He answered, The man they called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes, and said, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. They asked, where is this man? He replied, I don't know. Then they led the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus made the mud and smeared it on the man's eyes on the Sabbath day. So Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see the man told them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some Pharisees said, the man isn't from God because he breaks the Sabbath law. Others said, how can a sinner do miraculous signs like these? So they were d divided. Some of the Pharisees questioned the man who had been born blind again. What do you have to say about him since he healed your eyes? He replied, he's a prophet. The Jewish leaders didn't believe the man who had been blind and received his sight until they called uh, called from his parents. 
The Jewish leaders asked them, is, your, is this your son? Are you saying he was born blind? How can he now see? His parents answered, we know he is our son. We know he was born blind, but we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who healed his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jewish authorities. This is because the Jewish authorities had already decided that whoever confessed Jesus to be Christ would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's old enough, ask him. Therefore, they called a second time for the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. The man answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. Here's what I do know. I was born and now I see. They questioned him, what did he do to you? How did he heal you? He replied, I already told you, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? They insulted him. You are his disciple, but we are Moses's disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't know where this man is from. The man answered, this is incredible. You don't know where he is from, yet he healed my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. God listens to anyone who is devout and, God, and does God's will. No one has ever heard of the healing of the eyes of someone born blind. If this man wasn't from God, he couldn't do this. They responded, you were born completely in sin. How is it that you dare to teach us? They then expelled him. Jesus heard that they expelled the man, born blind. Finding him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the human one? He answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I have come into the world to exercise judgment so that those who don't see can see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard what he said and asked, surely we aren't blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But now that you say we see your sin remains, I assure you that whatever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs over the wall and the thief and outlaw. I went on a little bit too far. <laughs> it's easy to get carried away, but it this is. is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For some reason, I, I was looking for verse 42, and there is no verse 42. I mean, especially when John, when it feels like this narrative is so like deeply connected. Yeah. John is one of the best like short storytellers Absolutely. Of, of the gospel writers right mm -hmm. like i love how punchy mark is or the way that luke enfolds parables and stories within mm -hmm. the the arc of the gospel um but john is really great at this like setting of the scene and sort of moving on from teaching into drama into mm -hmm. like yet another story where it is it is really hard to know when yeah. like section stops and another begins um yeah, because because right after this story about a man who was born blind and was outside of the community ish um and then was healed but then like expelled from the synagogue jesus then begins talking about faith and inclusion and exclusion mm -hmm. um in the next bit so they're all sort of together um 
innocent. Yeah. But maybe let's zoom back toward uh, that, like, like this chapter. It's a long one. Um, and there's a lot of scenes that are happening here. There's yeah. a lot of different voices. Yeah. Maybe we could just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, we start with Jesus, the disciples, and the blind man. Mm-hmm. And then there's the blind man and his neighbors. Right. Then the blind man and the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees and the parents. Then the Pharisees and the blind man. <laughs> the blind man again. Then Jesus and the Pharisees. And I just feel like there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. If, um, yeah, if, if, it were, if it were me, I might try to, like, uh, read this scripture with some sort of, like, with some sort of drama or to have some different voices right. to, to carry this through. Um, Cause just reading the whole chapter all at once, you, you can kind of lose track of some of the characters that For are sure. all floating around. That's so good. Yeah. Cause even reading it by myself, I felt like, man, this is uh, the structure of it doesn't flow well for just one reader. Um, and having, having it broken off into segments, I think would be, would be really wise. I, I like that idea a lot. I think my, where my uh, mind goes first is like the dynamic of sin that's being portrayed. Cause that's the totally. first question asked by the disciples. And um, like, like the, the story is bookended by this understanding of sin where yeah. we start with sin and we end with sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. yeah. And, and different, different characters or different groups in that story interpret or understand sin differently. And mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. What else? were you thinking about when you think about the way that sin is a thread through this story? Well, gosh, I, I can't help but think of our conversation a few weeks ago when we talked about original sin in light of the original blessing um, and this relationship between original sin and personal sin um, in, in this passage, when we like hear the disciples asking that question, who sinned he or his parents, like this almost communal, a contagion of sin like we hear from Deuteronomy that sin extends to several generations right it shapes um, community and culture and things like that so sin isn't just this willful volitional uh, like states willful act but it's also something that's passed on to the next generation and um, there's some interesting things we can talk about with with that perspective but also this how sin is um, how sin is handled by God's people. So like Jesus puts no conditions on or like almost is like, I came into the world to bring healing so that people might see. Like he even talks about his judgment being fused with sight. I came in to judge so that the world may see. It's not be condemned by by this. And then then the blind man sent. So yeah, let me pause and follow up with that just just a minute because that like judgment line in the story is a little bit wonky but if you flip back in john to john 5 22 that's just like a few chapters before our passage for today um you have um a statement of jesus proclaiming his mission mm-hmm. in light of of judgment right um i'm i'm gonna back up to i'm gonna read from john 5 starting at verse 19 
Um, and Jesus is, is answering people about where his authority comes from. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes. And he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life. Even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Mm. So this obviously isn't within the scope of our passage for today, but it's like it's like undergirding the conversation that yeah. Jesus is having with the Pharisees. And and this judgment is real. I don't want us to get like worried about the word judgment. It's really just like about appropriately seeing or appropriately um, like sorting out what is of God and what is not of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so as Jesus is, like shedding light on um on what is sin and what is true life and what is good um there's this invitation to follow um and there are others who can see and judge appropriately and there are some who cannot right, right. and so you see right. that being played out here in the passage too that's that's so good because it really does um direct our focus to Jesus being the difference between light and darkness. Yes. So those whose like primary foundation is not Christ, of course, they are the ones who are blind and those who are rooted in Christ and understand who he is and what his mission is in the world, they can see clearly. Um, and it seems like, I mean, to circle back around, how would that kind of shape our perspective of how sin is being described in this chapter because you know to go back to that that statement exercise judgment so that those who don't see can see and those who see will become blind um it almost has this metaphorical volitional sense to an unwillingness to see as well um, yeah. And that, that's why we kind of end with the Pharisees conversation, I think, who are so convinced of the way that they see the world without Jesus, that they almost insist on this willful blindness in the world. Um, but still, even for those who are willfully blind, Jesus is still offering sight, um, bringing that healing into the world. So I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting relationship between that sight and sin. That, that Jesus is talking about here. Right. And I'm not sure I've got like a concrete way to like knit these together. I was confessing to Ben before we went live that John is wonky for me. I have a hard time <laughs> like sorting through like this, this very like, like it's just as a very layered kind of um, philosophy that John mm-hmm. is working with. Um, but in this passage in particular, as well as the scope of John's gospel, he is consistently connecting, like seeing with knowing. Um, and there are a few ways we might interpret those Greek words. Like to see doesn't just mean to see with your eyes, mm-hmm. like like the physical sense. It also means like this word is also used to say like, look out, pay attention, beware, watch. Like um, it, it, it me it has this, this sense of, of attention or observation connected with it. 
as does the word no, which we see uh, appear quite a lot in our passage, almost as often as we see the word for sight or seeing, right? Mm -hmm. We see no or knowledge, like how do you know this has happened? How can we know? Um, do you know this man? Yeah. Like, uh, like all of that is worked in there as well. And that's not just like a, an empirical um intellectual kind of knowledge but it's meant to be like a recognition or an understanding or a familiarity right um so throughout the like these threads both seeing and knowing the the implicit foundation there the the convergence of those two in this story as well as in the gospel of john is about like truly understanding and having like a clear a clear-eyed vision for what God is up to um, and how God is moving, mm -hmm. which then even in, in our, in our understanding of the like Hebrew and Jewish community to, to see, to hear, to understand, like immediately demands a step of obedience mm -hmm. um, is in like, is like active participation. So anyway, uh, trying to like hold those things together about the images of seeing, of mm -hmm. understanding, and obeying, yeah. uh, and 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 that like the kind of like ideal hearer, the ideal audience here is someone who sees Jesus as the light of the world, who sees Jesus as a representative of God, the Creator of the universe, who's making all things new, who understands that Jesus is setting all things right. And then with that clear-eyed vision, like is compelled to step into obedience and discipleship. Mm -hmm. We have this like ideal kind of response. Right. Um, and we have the exact opposite. The, the ones who do not recognize Jesus as the light of the world. And in fact, think he is like snuffing out the true mm -hmm. light, which mm -hmm. is the law of Moses, the temple, like the old ways of being and doing things. Um, and they, they, they not only missee, misunderstand, misconstrue Jesus, but then they want to continue to eliminate him or brush mm -hmm. him to the side or get rid of him and, and then further root themselves in their like previous way of seeing, right? Right, right? Like they, they encounter the light of Christ, but instead of like shedding their old way, like taking the scales from their eyes, they, they further tighten them down. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if any of that is making sense. I'm struggling no. to like knit all of this together to peel back a layer. No, absolutely. And I, I think it's, I think it would uh, help us to understand uh, the point that you're making even better by peeling back the the few interactions that we see in this passage, because we, we do see that kind of tightening down, whether it be fear from his parents of the Jewish authorities, because they don't want to be expelled from the temple. It's not holding on to a tradition. It's not really holding on to anything that they are convicted by. They don't want to lose social connection. They don't want to lose um, this connection with God that they feel like, they have right now and that the Jewish authorities have the power to expel them from. Mm -hmm. um, so that's fear that's causing them to, to tighten down. And, and then the blind man is expelled, you know, from the temple just because of his testimony. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
I think the Pharisees are representative of those who see their uh, place in religious culture as the ability to control. Um, so they don't want to lose that, um, that control. They, they feel like it's their job to exercise judgment and power over others rather than like hearing perhaps a new way that God might be moving in the world. They're completely not open uh, to hearing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so really the only, and even the disciples who have not yet really come to know who this Jesus is either are still trying to figure it out. Like who sinned this person or his parents, you know, and yeah. we don't really hear the disciples response after that. So there's all these very different um, perspectives of seeing from the disciples to the family, to the Pharisees. Yes. I want to maybe even like, like continue to build on that and say we see a variety of not only responses but of like witnesses to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I I keep coming back to this to this like idea or invitation to be an embodied witness. Like I think as we've been studying John and as we've like been encountering Jesus, there are these people who who respond, who see, who understand and then cultivate a witness and a testimony. Mm -hmm. Um and I think we see a variety of kinds here. Not every testimony is a good testimony, right? right. I, I, that's a reason that like, like the prohibition of false testimony or false witness, like mm -hmm. as part of like the, the, the deutero um, canonical law, right? Like, like, I, I guess I want to, I want to name some of the ways we see like faithful embodied witness um, or like a growing faithfulness and witness. Mm -hmm. And we see people who like, who, who are unreliable witnesses or like unwilling witnesses. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's making any sense, but the disciples, for example, like they're, they're connected to Jesus. They're following along the way with Jesus. And they're, they're sort of very slowly kind of pulling the scales back like a little bit at a time. It's just like little exfoliations mm -hmm. <laughs> at a time, right? Rather, right? rather than some of these like stark, like, once I was blind and then I saw and understood mm -hmm. and could bear faithful witness, right? right. The disciples right. are like working it out as they go. Mm -hmm. And part of me is wondering if perhaps the man's parents are like also sort of on that working it out journey, right? Um, but maybe farther back, right? Like, like they, like they cannot deny this was their son who was born blind and now he can see. And so what do they do with that? They don't know what to say. They're not ready to bear witness or to proclaim faith or to give a testimony of Jesus's lordship. Um, but they, but they do not deny the healing mm -hmm. in the ways that the Pharisees are like, wait, this can't really be the person who we saw begging. It just must be somebody else who looks like him. You right. know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. There's this difference between like, there's this difference between recognition and like complete faithful obedience. Right. And then we've got the, the, the Pharisees who are just in denial, right? Like, I guess I'm seeing like this various journey of faith. And no. one of the things that strikes me as really interesting to circle back to the woman at the well and then to Nicodemus is that it is the questioning, the working through of doubt that brings this man to faithful witness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do, you, do you see that too? Absolutely. Right? That, that yeah. it's like, like in, in Nicodemus's conversation when he gets it, but he doesn't, and then he doesn't, but he does. And then the woman at the well who, who thinks she knows what the conversation's about, and then it's about something totally different. 
And then this man who had been healed, who is working, who is working it out first with like conversations with the Pharisees and then with mm-hmm. his parents and then with the community. And, and as people ask him about this, he's able to come to a more articulate way of saying, listen, I was blind and now I can mm-hmm. see. And all I know is that this man is like the one from God. Right. Where else would I go? Right. You know Absolutely. I, I like just gave me an aha moment from what you were saying to understand even the beginning. He's not healed instantly. Right. So even the healing is a process in and of itself. He puts the, puts the mud and saliva on his eyes, this kind of act of creation, taking dirt, making something new. And the man has to go like, Find his own way. He is sent even still being blind to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and, and then he can see. And so the process is like that even being worked out. So Jesus is almost from the beginning starkly asking, you know, I, I just trust in me. <laughs> trust that this will happen. And it's because of the man's trust in that that he goes and washes and then he can see. Um, so it's it's working out this like incredible, indescribable God that is incarnate among us that really starts this whole conversation out like we've seen with Nicodemus, the woman at the well, and even now here with the broader community. Yeah, and then I'm I'm reminded just as we're having this conversation of Paul's exhortation to the church: continue mm-hmm. to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right, continue right. to work out your healing in fear of the Lord, mm-hmm. in inappropriate humility. Continue to work it out. That our life of following Jesus in this like embodied faithful yeah. witness is isn't a, a thing that happens instantaneously. Right. It is an invitation that's always extended to us, to which mm-hmm. we always respond. And as we recognize Christ, who is the light of the world, we also recognize that there is infinitely more than what Mm -hmm. we can see and understand. Maybe this is the invitation I'm hearing from like a really philosophical and esoteric gospel like Mm -hmm. John is, is to like step into the mystery and to continue to work it out. So like to keep, to keep turning the page, to keep unfolding, to keep, um, peeling back a layer and see what else the light of Christ is illuminating. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's so good. Which is, I, I mean, it's, it's a, like, it's a look, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, it's a, it's a way of, it's a way of being that's maybe different from mm-hmm. like some of it, this, this isn't like three bullet points to make your life better. <laughs> right. You know, right. like it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very different kind of invitation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, and I think the invitation is extended to everybody, all the characters that we have in this, this chapter and the, you know, we, we, in our day and age of conversation, we will hear similar responses to that invitation because the concern, if, I mean, as we break down each reaction to this man's testimony that he was healed, um, there never is a focus on who Jesus is Hmm. um, or, or um, the fact that this man was healed. Like those, those are kind of assumed, but there's no like celebration of that that happens like, Oh my gosh, this person can see. And it's not received positively. 
It's mm. fear. It brings fear. It brings um, judgment. It, it brings condemnation. It, uh, immediately the conversations start revolving around sin or like who's even deserving to heal. Like the whole Sabbath thing. Like I just can't help but think of Jesus saying the Sabbath was made for people. People weren't made for Sabbath. Like, can, can, can we, can we really step past this idea of like the, the Sabbath is meant for redemptive, uh, for work to be redemptive, to reset to a re- redeeming way in rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this person, like Jesus brought rest to this person. Now he right. can see and he is at rest from his, his, you know, his walking in darkness. And so like all of these responses seem to be fixated on the, how did this happen? And, and like, who do you think you are? Almost responses rather Mm -hmm. than like, this is who Jesus is. And can we really just step into the mystery and contemplate that together? Yeah, totally. I love the ways that you just a moment ago pointed us back to the Genesis narrative, because it seems like in the way that Sabbath is supposed to be an unembodied and enacted moment where we remember God, the creator, and the one who is still creating. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus's work here with the mud and the new life and the new vision is like is this moment of new creation it's an embodied and enacted sabbath Mm, practice and the and the the pharisees cannot see it rather rather than celebrating the creator god who Mm -hmm. they prayed to a million times every day rather than recognizing and celebrating that um they're asking how and I don't, I don't know, this is just coming to me now, but how often do we approach our scriptures or, or, the, or the miracles around us in that way, rather than oh, pointing man. to our creator God, like full of like never ending, loving self-revelation, who is moving all things, all creation to new creation. And to celebrate these signs of resurrection, these signs of like new creation among us, we're asking like, wait a minute, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Or tell me more, show me the receipts. <laughs> like, yeah, tell, like, totally. Like, like where, where, where's, where's the flow chart and the spreadsheet and explain mm-hmm. to me how this happened rather yeah. than just naming our God who is good, who is, who is enacting new creation in us, among us and through us is here and now mm-hmm. let us celebrate. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't know. That's so good. And my mind, just like as you were ta- talking about the Genesis narrative and your explanation there made me, and maybe this is too far. So this is half-baked <laughs> Ben's idea here. But what if, <laughs> what if we see, because again, this blind man doesn't have a name, but what if, what if we see this blind man as Abel and his mm-hmm. parents are Adam and Eve blaming you know like we see in the garden narrative there's this kind of blaming not taking responsibility out of fear um, of of what may happen and the pharisees are cain like Mm. cain expels abel from life like the source of life in this world and then god meets god meets abel there in the midst Mm. of death and like being expelled from this source of life and redemption and community there. Um, and mm-hmm. you can see that kind of whole creation narrative playing out with this, the, the community of humanity in the world um, and how diverse the responses are to God's desire to bring. Cause 
I'm sure Christ's intention, just as it was with God from the beginning, was to see harmony and value and dignity within humanity through God's actions with them. When Mm -hmm. Jesus healing, giving life, bringing redemption is received with judgment, fear, and condemnation. Mm. It's like we see that cycle play out again. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's so interesting. This is, I mean, what we were talking about last week is that the invitation of an anonymous character mm-hmm. is for is for us to um to meditate, to sit in that anonymity and to say, what does this remind us of? Yeah. Where else are we seeing the story? And then I think John in particular is the kind of narrative that invites us to do that work um in this. It, it is this very multi-layered connected kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, half-baked thoughts, you're literally hearing us working this out live right. folks. Absolutely. Um, but as I, <laughs> again, as I think back, like, cause, cause very, very much the work that John is doing as he presents Jesus, the light of the world is, is, is reframing creation narrative, right? Like, like John one is meant, John chapter one is really meant to call us back to the mm-hmm. creation narrative, right? right? About like in the beginning was the word and, and the ways that God is doing an act of new creation here among mm-hmm. us, right? So I just want to remind our readers, we're not pulling this out of nowhere. These are, there are like some other connections that we're drawing from here and that, uh, and that John and his work is, is really pointing to Jesus, the new Genesis, the mm-hmm. new humanity. Mm-hmm. I like the way that the CEB translates son of man's a human one, right? Like, n- like new humanity. Yeah. Um, anyway, so as, as you're talking, Ben, I'm, I'm remembering that in the Genesis story of Cain and Abel, it's Cain, the murderer who is expelled. And yet here in this story, we have like a man who can see and understand mm-hmm. a man with new life who is yeah. expelled, right? Like, and how upside down and twisted is that? So good. Um, that like, as like the new humanity is being inaugurated and worked out among us, the people who ought to receive that as good news and new life actually push it away. Mm. And and this is this is the sin and the blindness that Jesus is pointing to that they wow. cannot see the new life that is there that's being worked out among them and present among them wow and and so so then that that in that way the text calls me to ask like what are the things that blind me that mm-hmm. keep me from seeing the new life that is working out uh, that that God is working out among me and in what ways might i be complicit in expelling the very ones in whom God is working out new life, right? Mm-hmm. What prejudice is blinding me um, to receiving the ones, the very ones, the, the human ones in front of me yeah. in whom God is working out new life. Um, anyway, that's, wow, that's so good. That's, that's like confession from Alicia this morning, just no, talking about that. Absolutely. I, uh, I think that leads us to a really good um, point of maybe homiletical handles, how as you were talking about uh, what things may blind me, you know, my, my inclination is to invite, um, maybe use a cave analogy. I, I know that I walked through cave as, a, you know, on a field trip and, and I remember the, the guide like leading us dark, you know, darker and darker and deeper and deeper and then shutting off the lights and like, how I felt in that moment. I could feel my heart beat. I was only aware of myself and my own needs. Couldn't see anyone else around me. 
in in utter darkness and just felt the environment of like the clammy humid cave right mm. um and then like comparing that to how when when um the lights came on and uh, you know and continued to understand all that that god has uh communicated and revealed through christ i i'm i am more aware of of the broader community around me i'm more aware of my place in the world rather than just me and my own needs because i i i feel like such um there's been such a uh a, a damaging part to a contemporary uh presentations of the gospel where self-denial is also self-deleting where you you delete your value your needs um when I feel like a better way of, of, of phrasing that is like, you have needs and they are legitimate. You yourself are a valued, loved creation by God. Cause that's in scripture. It's, it's just not making those desires and needs more important than the broader community around us. It, and the light of Christ who lowered himself to come into the world, didn't devalue himself, didn't devalue or delete himself, but also understood the needs of the community, especially the, the most vulnerable, the oppressed, to give them dignity and value in the world. And I think when those lights come on, you can really never go back. And that's what I feel like the blind man continues mm-hmm. to do. So I might invite my congregation into understanding, you know, what's it like to come out of dark darkness when you had the lights turned on in your world, whether it's regarding how you spent your money or how you navigated uh, parenting, you know, what, whatever that may, that may be. Um, how can you help others to see those, to turn on the lights for other people as well in working out the mysteries of God together? Nice. That's really good. Yeah. I love this invitation of like lights on or lights off kind of idea. Um, and so as you were talking, I was thinking about like, like the, the invitation of discernment in the dark, right? And the, in the ways that we cannot really discern who, who we are, who God has called us to be, where we cannot cultivate a right-sizedness mm-hmm. when we're on the platform and the lights are shining on us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that there's this like, there's this sort of, I don't know. Yeah, there, there's this journey into the darkness that's necessary as part of discipleship. Um, and there are a couple of things that come to my mind as I'm thinking about that. That might be just helpful resources for others. Um, I am a big fan of Barbara Brown Taylor and her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, points mm. at the ways that, that the darkness is a formative space um, for discipleship and for God working these things out in us and among us. And I think that that might be a really helpful touch point as we think about this man born blind who encounters Jesus but does not see him but trusts and believes him and there is this formative work that happens as he's Mm -hmm. like journeying to wash in this pool um and kind of like journeying through the darkness into true light I guess anyway thinking about that um yeah and and as you were telling that story of the cave um some like I don't have a a, like an exact parallel but a similar kind of experience experience for me would be like one of the first times I went backpacking and like being like truly dark in Mm. the in the middle of the wilderness um but then also seeing the stars in a really magnificent way um there's a 
uh, it's a bucket list of mine to go to um, a night sky preserve. Um, these are places in the world that are like, that are deeply dark, but on purpose, mm. right? Like any neighboring town sign these like waivers that they don't turn on lights at certain times to keep light pollution low so that you can, you can see the sky in a mm. meaningful and significant way. Like you can see the Milky Way without any kind of telescope in these places that are so dark you can yeah. actually see the lights of the heavens mm-hmm. um stanley anyway, idaho i know i know i've told you about it I've told, <laughs> i told you about stanley idaho that's like one of the night sky preserves in the states yeah. um but th- there are several other others around the world these places that are like like living in darkness but for the sake of like cosmic light mm-hmm. and I don't know. That's, that's so good. that speaks to me a little bit. Um, and then I think, lastly, I'm I'm remembering an essay um, by Annie Dillard, one of my favorite writers. Um, she writes about like witnessing an eclipse and the ways that that like mm. was a really spiritual experience for her and like helped her cultivate this sort of right sizedness and to and it was like by encountering the darkness that she learned to see in a more meaningful way. Mm. Um, I'm forgetting the title of the essay, but it's in her collection, Teaching a Stone to Talk. Um, anyway, I might post it in our show notes if anyone's yeah, interested. Definitely. But as, as I think about this, like blindness and seeing and the kind of paradox that the story ends with, that like those who are blind will see and those who see will become blind. Mm. Um, it, sound, it can sound like this really cryptic, kind of harsh judgment but I guess I still want us to hear as an invitation that those who see will become blind will like encounter the darkness in a meaningful and transformative way so that they then understand their right-sizedness place in the universe and Mm. and and Christ's position of true light yeah that's so good that's so good I love your um your emphasis on the work the this we're working it out like from that you mentioned from Paul like and it even made me think you know I I've had they they told me I had 2020 vision when I was like eight and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world you know but then later on I was I was told that I had 2010 vision and I'd got like calls from the militaries because that's like the parameters to fly Apache helicopters and stuff like that and but now as I'm getting into my 30s or well into my 30s i have what's called floaters so i have like every time i blink these things come up and like there's there's a bits of darkness that come down um and it's it's a i'm reminded that it's a work like just to see clearly at times is Mm -hmm. not always something that can just be automatically done um yes Sorry, I no, I got excited. Yeah, I I just was gonna say, and so, and so when when we are seeing clearly in those mm-hmm. moments when we do see clearly, okay. yeah. um, yeah. I'm I'm reminded of verse four in our chapter today. As long as it is day, we must do the works Amen. of the one who sent us. Yes. Right, that that like like there there will be times in our journey when we cannot see when when we're struggling when we cannot see clearly and and this is why we do this work in community and mm-hmm. on the journey together because when you cannot see maybe i can see for the two of us or when mm. i can't see perhaps my companions can see for the yeah. both of us you you know what i'm saying yeah. but when we can see clearly we must be about the work that god has given Amen. us to do Amen. like like show up do the work um, I'm sorry, I got a little so, preachy. No, that's, <laughs> I didn't mean to 
to so be good. realist there, but um, but but yes, I, I I think I think this is also the invitation of of the passage as we hear this miraculous healing told over and over again. We remember that seeing clearly is a gift that comes from God. So when we receive that gift, we respond with gratitude and we show up to do the work. Amen. When we can see clearly what God is up to, we show up to participate in mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's so good. I, I'm I'm challenged again that. We, especially uh, in evangelical circles, I think this is a good challenge for us to understand that we are called to faith and confession, not certainty um, in, in, in what we know. Uh, so even in moments of clarity, it's a dependence on Christ, not mm-hmm. on our own certain or obliteration of doubt, which I feel like we've you know, damaged and hurt so many people because we've emphasized on certain knowing of believers um, where this whole conversation, he's like, I, what can I tell you? Like all I have is this healing moment. And I, from this person, like, can't we sit down and talk about this? But there's this yes. like emphasis and driving towards certainty in the absence of doubt on who this person is, you know, and w- what God is doing in the world. And I think that is such a challenge for us to take a posture of humility and faith and confession rather than emphasizing that we have to have it certain and have it all figured out um, yeah. in the name of Christ. Uh, as we walk together as the community of the church. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and our our scriptures from this season point us to all kinds of ways that that these questions, these dialogues are really helpful for forming faithful witnesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in in our passage for today, we have the unhelpful kinds of questions. Yeah. Um and and then then I guess like as a as a pastor and shepherd i i hold that responsibility to discern between the two and to to be open to facilitating the right kinds of questions so good in our space and time yeah well alicia thank you so much for taking time to to, again open the open the scriptures with me i always have uh such great insight after our conversations and i really gleaned a lot and i hope those of you who were listening today uh, experience the same please be in contact with us during these uh uncertain days ahead uh this is such a timely passage as we are walking in things that may be bring about darkness and uncertainty, how we can be those who facilitate and stand in the gap as pastoral leaders to help facilitate conversations, to speak peace, and continue to, to walk in faithful obedience with God and each other uh, through these days ahead in this season of Lent. Thanks again for joining yeah. me. To, to all of y'all who are reading the scriptures this week, like would challenge you to reach out to other folks you know who are also reading the scriptures. Read the scriptures together, Amen. discuss together. Um, if this is a helpful resource for you to share in cultivating an online or text group discussion around the scriptures, please do so. We would be grateful to be yet another voice in your community reading the scriptures faithfully and preaching the word boldly. Um, you're doing the work. We're grateful for you. Preach mm-hmm. on. Amen. Shining the light. We will see you next week.